Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. With me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. The news this week, of course, is full of the thing that we don't talk about on this show until there's actually something worth talking about. Um, But other items in the news uh, that caught our eye, uh, British cosmetics firm Lush are going to quit social media. Uh, They've told their 200,000 Twitter followers that they're tired of fighting algorithms and they're not not going to pay to appear in news feeds anymore. Uh, Virgin boss Sir Richard Branson says that Virgin Trains could disappear from the UK um, after its partner Stagecoach was barred from um, three rail franchise bids. Is that a threat then? It sounds like a threat. It sounds like a, a, a firm threat. Uh, Yes. Uh, And also, this one I thought was really interesting. German has taken over as the most requested language by employers. Uh, It's taken over from French. uh, And Chinese is now the third most popular language for companies who are seeking to recruit. Uh, But our focus this week, we decided that we'd spend some time. We've talked about well-being on the show in the past. We thought we'd spend some time looking at the workplace environment and the importance of designing a healthier workplace and the impact it has on business. That might be ergonomic uh, desks and workstations. It might be the amount of light, the amount of heat, uh, the amount of open space within a business. but there are lots of trends and lots of things we've already we've already seen pictures of the um have you seen the sleeping desks oh yes the the nap desk the nap desk so there you are with your normal desk and then underneath it is just a nice little cozy single bed <laughs> which i quite like the idea of with a pillow with a pillow with a pillow um so yeah, so we thought we'd focus on that. What have you? F- I've got a, a couple of things, Tracy. But what have you? What have so you found when out? we decided to um, to talk about this topic, uh, the first thing that came into my mind was um, arthritis research. It's now called versus arthritis after a merger. But at the time that they they did this award winning office redesign, it was called arthritis research. And I have a good friend who works there, so I, I got the inside story on this mm-hmm. one. Um, and what they did is they, they changed their office environment um, to promote collaboration, flexible working, yeah, as a lot of offices will do, but also inclusion and to support health and well-being, particularly with musculoskeletal health, okay. as arthritis um, research might suggest. And Dawn was telling me about all of this and my my eyes were getting wider and wider at how lovely this workplace sounds. But I found a little article about it. It says that every aspect of design from door handles to sofas was carefully selected to support musculoskeletal conditions and staff well-being. They've got um, a wide spectrum of um, different types of privacy level. So they've got focus pods, media booths, open plan project spaces, a dedicated retreat and wellness room to provide areas for contemplation, stretching and gentle exercise, as well as three activity-based working environments, three large meeting rooms, each uh, capable of accommodating up to 12 with um, meeting and seminar facilities. So that sounded lovely. And then obviously I realised that on our doorstep, we've got an award-winning example of innovative workplace design with Moneypenny. Oh, yeah. 
So I found a really nice article on a website called Arch Daily and it was an interview with the architects of the building and they're saying that the brief from their client, Money Penny, was that the staff were to be at the heart of the business and they wanted to create interesting, inspiring workplaces, bringing everyone together from different work offices. And, and the key thing is they've got two different um, wings that sort of focus on this area called the middle and the aim was so that everybody felt connected to the middle. Okay. And, and in this article, the middle is in inverted commas. So this middle like, almost sounds mythical to me. Mm. And I think anybody local to Wrexham will be aware of the, the stories ab- about this uh, fantastic working space from um, um, tree house offices to... Um, sort of um, sheep in staged seating areas and things like that. So it sounds amazing. If you want to um, have a look, the website is archdaily.com and they've got the interview, like I say, with the architects, but also some pictures of the inside. So uh, finally, on my bit of inspiration here, I did find a wonderful website. If you're looking for inspiration, I'm talking high-end inspiration for your offices here, officesnapshots.com. They've got an article called the top 25 most popular offices of 2018. And we're talking offices from around the world. Go take a look. (gasps) They're breathtaking. Some of them appeal, some of them definitely don't. The ones that really appeal are the ones that look like somebody's living room. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. <laughs> or study, you know, look <laughs> home, home from yeah, home. very homely, yeah, and um, and I, I found it absolutely fascinating and and rather envious as well at the same time. So, okay. how, what's your office like, Heather? Uh, well, my office, ah, oh, yeah, how fortuitous because I have just moved into a new office, so it is light, it is bright, it is clutter-free at the moment, <laughs> um, but it's only it, it's just me in that space. Um, but when you start to shoehorn lots of people into limited space, then the layout and the environment becomes even more important because we all know that nobody, you know, those days of working in little cubicles yeah you know I mean crikey you know we've all done that and it's it's grim it's 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 not great so being able to make um, workstations a bit more free-flowing uh, has become more and more popular and more and more important to the employee so starting to think about you know the expectations of millennials and what what they want from a work environment you know if you suggested to them that they just sit at a desk in a little pod um that probably wouldn't cut it for them. So from what I was reading, it's, it's really important. If, if you're looking for the top talent, office design actually becomes part of your recruitment yeah. and retention policy. Yeah. It, it's that important. It's part of your offering. Um, and, and also, it's not just about spending loads of money on, on kit and bigger spaces and bigger windows. It has an impact on the bottom line. So a, a, a sound working environment and, and some of the um, some of the, the best companies to work for, you know, for years, the likes of Microsoft, they've had breakout spaces and bean bags and table tennis tables and all of those types of things. But it's more than that. I can remember going to the Microsoft um, campus in Reading a number of years ago now, quite a few, about 15 years ago. Um, and everybody had laptops and everybody could go and work outside and that was just a given you could go and sit under a tree they had wi-fi across the campus go and sit under a tree and do your work you know and that's the expectation that's been set now we have all this advanced technology let's use it to the benefit of our of our teams and our people because it comes back on the bottom line 
But to put a bit of um, science into some of that, the Health and Safety Executive have uh, quite an interesting guide about ergonomics at work uh, and ergonomics at work that's not just once upon a time we thought that was just you know having your your monitor at the right level and the right sort of chair and etc it's so much more than that it takes into consideration the the size and shape of the individual people's fitness and strength their ability their posture of course but then the way the information is presented people's literacy capabilities people's visual capabilities um the equipment that's used so it's the lighting that's in place how much natural light noise vibration temperature so many different elements and it's 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 only 10 pages but it's a really interesting document because it starts to demonstrate the things that you need to be thinking of um and of course then if you get that right it has an impact on attracting retaining and um getting the most out of your workforce so i thought that was really an interesting one and then a word that I learned that I didn't know existed, and I don't even know how to say it, is biophilic, B-I-O-P-H-I-L-I-C. And that is um, biophilic design is the best kept secret of a great workplace. And that is looking at lighting. Uh, it's looking at plants. It's looking at inside, outside nature. So um 47% of employees apparently lack natural light in their workplace. I know it's a really important thing for me. Um, chances are, if you've got people working for you, it's going to be important for them. Don't you think that uh, there are changes that a, an employer can make, no matter how much their budget is? Because you're talking about things like natural light and, and, and allowing flexibility in working. Those things can come at relatively no cost yep. or almost yep. so, like you said before you don't necessarily have to have these grand plans to build a an office space like money penny no it just takes a little bit of thought i was reading somewhere the, the research that they've done says that the actual cost of organizing your workplace appropriately to suit your people um is is pay um sort of pales into insignificance when compared with the costs of having a workforce that isn't engaged or healthy or performing at good levels and if the working environment is not upbeat and positive people are more likely to be off sick and there's there's quite a lot of research into the impact the environment has on people's health and well-being and therefore how often they're not in the office now it's time for the news and events section. First off, I'm going to tell you a little bit about some um, nuggets of information I learned at an event I attended this week. It was the Data Protection Practitioners Conference organised by the Information Commissioner's Office and it was in Manchester. One of the first things to note is that uh, a representative from the CBI was there and they, they did say that even with the complications that seem to be coming out of Brexit, whether we have no deal or a deal or a withdrawal then or a not then or whatever goes on, they've warned that you cannot expect regulatory forbearance particularly from a data protection point of view. And I think this is particularly relevant for you if you are sharing data Outside the UK, either it's coming in from the EU or you're sending it to the EU, you you need to be on the ball with this because they're not going to make any allowances. If you get it wrong and you've only just learned about the regulations, the warning's been out there. Another thing I, I learned about was um, a data rights finder online tool. Now, this is particularly useful from um, a point of view of looking at see what 
companies, and particularly here we're looking at financial companies, so banks and and the, those new fintech companies that are springing up everywhere, finding out what data, what personal data they're holding about you. Now, this organisation called Open Rights is funded by the Information Commissioner's Office with a grant, and they've set up a website called datarightsfinder.org. And in there, you can have a search for a bank or, or other fintech company and if, if they're on there, you can go and find out such things as uh, who the data protection officer is, what data categories are collected, any unusual processing purposes, third parties that they send information to, retention rules, lawful basis, blah, blah, everything about the data. But not just that, they also comment on the quality of the data privacy policies and also comment on the types of data. So I put in Halifax. And I looked on that. I was really surprised at the amount of special category data that Halifax say they hold on their customers. The sort of stuff which you would imagine has no legal basis for being held, such as sexual orientation and genetic information. Oh, my goodness. And membership of trade unions and things like that. So... And this is this is all available on this website. It is available on on the Halifax's website and other banks' websites. But what they're doing is they're making it more obvious, easier to find, and also commenting on it as well. So it's well worth a look. And if you're actually a bank or a, a company that's involved in financial services, it's worth going on there to have a look and see if you're there, see what's been said about you, or indeed if if you're not on there, maybe you do want your stuff on there because you have got good data protection policies. Another thing I wanted to mention was a, an app that they used. Well, it wasn't an app. It was just a website, but it was a service they used on, on people's phones during the conference uh, called Slido. Um, and it's S-L-I dot D-O. And um, what, what they were able to do was during the workshops, they were able to do polls. You know, so asking questions, you know, what, who thinks this? And, um, you know, so they're asking data protection questions and, and measuring the, the level of knowledge in the room. So there were 3,000 people at this event. So it's not that easy to ask everybody what their level of knowledge is and to gauge it. So by doing these polls, they were able to get a good idea of, of the balance in the room. And also people could pose questions as well. And given that there were 3,000 people in the room... And there were about the same number of people doing live stream and, and watching from wherever, from their offices or their homes. They could also pose questions as well. And the ICO committed to answering all of those questions, not on the day necessarily, because there were quite a lot, but they've been captured there as well. So that looked like a really interesting um, tool if you are running conferences or company meetings, team meetings or, or trainings. And... Finally, from that event, one of the th big takeaways for me was a really, really useful idea. The conference pass was on a lanyard and it was quite big. I was a bit put out at first. It was about A6 size. And I soon realised the value of it being large was my agenda, my own personalised agenda was printed on that lanyard. So because we were all in different workshops through the day and different rooms, it actually had my name, my organisation 
and all the timings. It was oh, absolutely Oh, you're in perfect. this room yeah. at 11 o'clock or And whatever. unlike something that was printed or just put up on the wall or something, I couldn't lose it because it was round my neck. Yes. If it wasn't round my neck, I'd have got thrown out the conference. So that, that's my event this week. Uh, what have you got on events? Okay, Helen? so I've got some events that are taking place in May. Um, the first one takes place on the 14th of May. Uh, Flincher in Business. It's a Sorton Hall uh, hotel. And it is an evening event uh, aimed at, sorry, I'm just trying to get the right screen. Um, it, well, it's cocktails and canapes. Um, so you can find out more about Flincher in Business and perhaps more importantly, the Flincher Business Awards that are scheduled for 2019. So if you are in business uh, and in the Flincher area, then um, that's one to pop along to a good networking opportunity and Sorton Hall's beautiful. Um, also on the 14th of May, uh, sorry, on the 14th of May, Innovation for Success. This is a free event. Uh, it's um, based at Wrexham Enterprise Hub. So these are nice local events this, this week from nine till 12. Um, the tools your business needs to enhance, protect and reward innovation. Um, the Innovation for Success seminar will equip you with the tools needed to fully utilise your innovation efforts and safeguard your company assets. Uh, there are seminars about the um, Accelerated Growth Programme, how SMEs can um, utilise uh, R&D tax credits uh, and also intellectual property um, being talked about by Aaron and Partners solicitors. So I thought that looked like a good one. And then this caught my eye. It's on the 15th of May. It's it's quite expensive, uh, but it's at RADA. It's £780. It's a full day and it's storytelling for business. So it, it, it's in London. Oh, well, that sounds that one. I know, doesn't it? Um, it's uh, at RADA Studios in, uh, in London. And it's a workshop that gives you uh, confident communication techniques, structures of storytelling, how to apply storytelling to your business, to your workforce, and how to hook an audience. Um, yeah, it's uh, and they've got a number of dates, actually. They've got May, they've got July, and they've got September. So um, a bit spendy, but I think it sounds like a really good event. Tracy, what what news and information have you got for us? Okay, so I wanted to share um, a press release that HM Revenue and Customs put out this week. They've extended the deadline for applications for a grant, eight million pounds, not not for one grant. That's how much they've got on the pot available to help businesses to prepare for exit from the EU, and they've extended the deadline. They've extended it as of yesterday to the 31st of May. I don't know if they're extending it further, but as far as I understand, they're extending it till as long as the money's run out. Right. So uh, presumably not enough people have applied. So get in there. The funding is to support custom intermediaries and traders who have to complete customs declarations and can be used to help businesses meet the cost of employee training and or IT improvements. So it's well worth going and having a look. You can only apply online and you, you need to go on to gov.uk and take a look there. But if you're involved in filling out customs declarations and you need to train your employees or you need to improve your IT in that area, then it's worth considering going and getting a grant 
do it now while the money's still there. And hot off the press, this week a letter from the Cabinet Office has been circulating around large organisations. Now, if you're already publishing payment practices data in line with the reporting and payment practices and performance regulations of 2017 and if you are you'll know what I'm talking about um, you'll be publishing any data um, onto their website at the moment and what the government's doing from the 1st of September is they're going to consider the information that's on there with any um, government contracts that they're putting out to tender over five million pounds And if you haven't got your information on there or you're not able to demonstrate that you've got effective systems in place to ensure fair and reasonable approach to payment of your suppliers, you will be excluded from the bidding. So it's really, really important that they're actually I I like this, that it's not just reporting for reporting sake. Actually, now there's consequences, because what I've noticed are the couple of reports that I look at. People's payment practices haven't improved in the year, the 12 months between reporting periods. So maybe this is a little bit of an extra push, certainly for those bigger organisations that they're considering tendering. If you want more information, again, you need to go to the gov.uk website and there is information there about what plans the government has. Our book review this week is a book written by... One of my favourite, favourite TED Talkers. One of my favourite, favourite ladies. One of, not the favourite. Well, she she could be, actually. <gasps> really? She could be. Um, a woman who I absolutely adore and love the work of. A lady called Amy Cuddy. She, as an individual, is an interesting character, um, if you hear about her story. But she... Um, has done a number of TED Talks. And this this book, which is uh, newly newly released, is called Presence, Bringing Your Boldest Self to Your Biggest Challenges. Now, um, as a a student at Harvard, um, she has looked at, well, presence, basically. Um, The name of the book. The name of the book, yes. But but how we, I think the, the message I take from anything that she does is it's about the way that we impact on our own futures. Um, we often my favorite talk is one where she talks about power poses and she there is a chapter about this at that in this book where uh, traditionally when we think about body language we think about reading other people's body language but she talks at length about how our own body language can impact on the way we feel and think about a situation I absolutely adore that it's TED just talk. it's it, just it's brilliant meant so much for me yeah I not only incorporated in what I do I even did talks to other therapists on how to use those yeah. ideas with their clients yeah. I, re- I I regularly regularly refer to it in in um, like confident communication training sessions but anyway so this book we we identified it and we both sort of had a look because you can buy a sort of um, preceed version and we hummed and hawed as to whether or not we needed to own this book. Uh, you knew fairly straight uh, yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. Because, I, because I know it's going to be a book that I'll refer back to. Um, and you bought the full book as well. But we both, we were chatting off fair before we came on. We both agree that this is not a speed read book. This is a proper book. Yeah, it's, you, it's heavy as well. Yes, it's got a lot of pages, and but but I mean, it's it's easy to read, but you need to give it the time. 
You can't you can't just flick through it and think, oh, what's that all about? You need to read each chapter because they cover different things. So what were your first impressions of the book, Tracy? Well, I didn't give it the time and space that it deserves. So I, I had big expectations for it because, like, like I say, I've, I've seen the TED Talk, been inspired by it, hopefully inspired others with what mm. I've passed on from mm. it. But I, I sat down at a time and a place where I, I didn't have enough space and enough time to do it. So I, I quickly looked through and thought, oh, my, and my shoulders just sagged. It was like, oh, words, lots of words. There were no nice chapter summaries, tables or charts or drawings no, which or anything. We loved in the book last week, didn't we? Yeah. And, and so I, I came away from it thinking, oh, gosh, right. But actually, I, I've had a word with myself and gone, you know what? You need to sit down and read this when you've got space. Because one of the things I, I particularly like about it is she is a proper researcher. She's a proper scientist. Yeah, yeah. She does her work and she explains it in a non-boring way in the book. And she includes examples from real people yeah. as well. So it's not just something that somebody's just plucked out of the air, this idea. There's a solid body of research that supports this and and that's going to appeal to me as well I just need to actually allow time for it to to contemplate on it yeah. it's not a speed read and it's not a dip in and out book at all like, unlike a couple of the books that we've read over the last few weeks they've been real dip in books this is a take time to read contemplate mull it over and maybe go back to it and pull out things but one of the things that sticks out is that at the beginning of each chapter is a quotation Yes. And you know I love a and quotation. They're, yeah, and they're good. Yeah, mm. so um, I, I'm holding back judgment a little bit. I think I'm going to like it more than I did initially. And my, my initial response was, no, I'm not, I'm not going to read that. But I think I've got enough confidence in the woman herself that I, I will actually absorb it. I started reading it and I just, I, I just didn't, didn't have the right mind space to do it at the time. Yeah, I totally get that. Um I haven't read the entire book, uh, but I, I looked at the chapters uh, and there were two that really stood out for me. Now, the first one is the first chapter where she talks about what is presence. And I remember uh, a long time ago I was working with somebody and uh, they said to me, if you can't be present, don't bother being here at all. You know, if you can't That's really powerful and, and yeah. it is really powerful and and, you know, it sounds a bit bullish, but actually, certainly in the work that I do, I'm either you've either got me or I'm not doing it. You know, it, be there, be real. If, if you're listening to somebody, if you're talking to somebody, be with that person whether that's a customer, whether it's a colleague, whether it's a family member, whether it's somebody on the bus, give them your time and be there for them. Not in a, you know psychotherapist kind of way but you know just either <laughs> yeah. do it or don't do it at all and she talks a lot about um presence and and the quote at the be beginning of that chapter is a walt whitman quote we convince by our presence because we all know if somebody's not really there with us when we're talking to do them you know what? i've just realized that the, the problem i had with starting to read this book was i wasn't fully present with the book right there you go there you go i've learned so, from that so that that was that to me you know just sums it all up but the chapter that i really um that really resonated with me is chapter four and it's called i don't deserve to be here and she talks at length uh, and interviews various people who have enjoyed success 
often in business and often in their career, but success, whatever that might be. And this is something that I come across an awful lot when I'm coaching people is imposter syndrome, where they say, I'm going to get found out. I'm going to get found out because inside I'm 48 now nobody's found me out yet I know but (laughs) But but it's true yeah and and so often and some of the most confident on the outside seeming people and it is actually mostly women yes have have suffered from imposter syndrome at least once if not for the whole of their life it's a it is a massive thing for women and um but that's not to say that men don't suffer from the same feelings and Where I think it's really interesting is that, uh, and she talks about whether or not we can actually break that cycle and stop feeling that we're going to get found out. But what we have to remember is that inside all of us is that child. We've got that inner child and we we forget what we know. You know, like before you could drive being able to drive was some sort of thing you know a big challenge a big mountain to, that you're going to climb and now we're all getting in and out of our cars all the time and, and we thinking and about we don't it. think of it as a skill and that's true of so many other things and she talks very eloquently and very um reassuringly about this whole imposter syndrome and what we can do about it so that's the standout chapter for me and the and the quote at the beginning of that chapter is a quote from Cary Grant and Cary Grant says let me go I can't find the page again now everyone wants to be Cary Grant even I want to be Cary Grant (laughs) which you know is fantastic gosh sometimes I wish I could be the person that everybody thinks I am yeah so um, anyway um it's a good book uh it is a tome if you want the abridged version, buy the abridged version. But Can this... I just, just say that one of the comments on Amazon, I, I looked at the reviews, was it isn't very practical. There aren't practical tips in here. And I was contemplating that. And I thought, actually, is it because there aren't these like takeaway snippets yeah. at the end? Go do this, this and this. I think it's actually deeper. It's about engaging you in an idea and then you take it away and you make it what it is for yourself so learn from me be present when you read the book (laughs) i think that is sound advice and i think at 13 pounds 99 i'm sure that um there will be offers available on amazon but we will be posting a link on our um, website thebusiness.community if you fancy buying the book please click on the link because if you do that we get a few pennies and that helps us to keep our soundcloud podcast account open and the website online The person we've chosen to profile this week is Keith Valentine Graham, otherwise known as Levi Roots, and no doubt that's how you will know him. He's British, Jamaican, reggae musician, television personality, celebrity chef and businessman. He was born in 1958 in Jamaica, raised by his grandmother and then joined his parents in the UK when he was 11 years old. Of note um, to mention is he has also served time for possession of a firearm and conspiracy to supply Class A drugs. That hasn't held him back. And um, he's now apparently worth in the region of £30 million. So if the first time you've ever came across Levi Roots was on Dragon's Den, then you'd probably be in good company because that's where I first heard about him. But he has been around quite a bit more, particularly on the music scene. And if you're in the Notting Hill area, he was selling his sources there for many years. And uh, 
I was quite interested to see a quote from Richard Farley um, from Dragon's Den. And he said that the source was not the products that he invested in. Levi was the product that he invested in. I thought that was really interesting because the research that I ended up doing was really, it was about this brand Levi Roots. I'm not even sure if Keith Valentine Graham is the same person as <laughs> Levi Roots. It, it's got it's a, a persona. Yeah, isn't it's it? got a very carefully managed persona of Levi Roots. Um, he's on uh, Twitter, Levi Roots Music. His bio says he's an award winning entrepreneur, musician, chef, author, speaker, and dragon slayer. And for all booking inquiries, this, this struck me as, as a little um, retro. Booking inquiries to Levi Roots Music at yahoo.com. Oh. Bit retro, isn't that it? is a bit, yeah. Yes, uh, but it's he is tweeting, so his, his tweets are recent. There was one about Joe Pasquale at his uh, Caribbean Smokehouse restaurant. Um, a lot of the tweets are about his reggae and ska show on BBC Radio 2, and also he did a recent visit to the University of Westminster talking to the students there. They all look very happy, and uh, that's my start in, mm. into the mm. exploration of Levi Roots. I've got more, but I'm going to hand over to Heather to see where well, you got. Well, it was because of me that we um, that we're discussing Mister Mr. Roots. Um, we, my husband and I were driving somewhere in the car, and a trailer came on for this show on Radio Two, this reggae show that he's doing on Radio Two. And I thought, I said to my husband, "Can you text me the name Levi Roots because he." <laughs> He's just appeared, you know. He, he's he's just appeared on Radio Two, and yet he's the reggae reggae source man. And I thought there's got to there's a there's a journey there. That, that there's a story word, the here. Journey. Yeah, um, and what is it? And as I started to research um, him and 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 his backstory, as it were. Do you know what came into my mind? You know, sometimes you meet people who are fantastic self publicists, and I think that this man is one of those. Um, he's a little bit like Tom Jones in his, you know, you know, when I met Elvis and you know, when, you know, when I played football with Bob Marley and, you know, when I sang happy birthday to Nelson Mandela and, you know, all of those types of things, which are fantastic and I'm, and you know, great things to have done, but they all, all, all of those things combined together. He, he's, he's such a, a complex story and I don't really know whether, as you've already said, is it Mr. Roots, you know, it, it, and and yet when he goes home, he's he's just back to being, you know, Mr. Graham, Mr. Graham in his slippers, and you know, or is he, is he this 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 person, and and that's him through and through, um, and I find that really really interesting. I think he's he's multifaceted. I think that's yeah. that's the word. Um, and I have ne- I can honestly say I have never tasted reggae reggae sauce, but I know the brand. I know I can rec- I recognize it's very recognizable, it's, yes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And that is genius. Now whether he designed that, whether that was as a re- the, you know the branding, um, whether he designed that and was using that when he was selling six thousand bottles or whatever it was of sauce at Notting Hill. He was using his persona to sell the sauce. Yes. So that's still there, isn't yeah. it? So yeah. as as Richard Farley said, you know, and, and I didn't see the show, but I've read lots about it since. His business model and his pitch was pretty dire. 
It was his personality that sold it. Well, he sang, um, he he played guitar and sang. He talked a lot about, uh, and 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 he talks on his own website about the recipe of the reggae, reggae sauce is a recipe that his grandmother taught him. Now, okay, you know, this all sounds... I mean, you know, people say, you know, oh, oh, I can't tell you, I'll have to kill you kind of thing. You know, it's like Colonel Saunders' Kentucky Fried Chicken seasoning. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was, you know, it's so it's grandmother's recipe. Um, he, he had to, his conscience made him consider whether or not he should take this investment because he r- runs the risk of ruining this family um, heirloom, oh, as it were. Story, you know, it's it? all yeah. really, really good. So he might just be really good at pitching, really good at um, promoting himself. But that said, he has, or, or in 2014, he had a net worth of £35 million. That's a lot of source and or music and or public engagements. And that's, I mean, it's a big number. I don't, I know Sainsbury's sell the source, but yeah, you know how much sources. <laughs> <laughs> well, he got his figures wrong um, by an order of uh, a thousand, I think. Um, okay. In the pitch, he'd he, he got it slightly wrong, and, and the dragons had picked up on this. Right. Um, so that that was one of the reasons why it wasn't considered to have gone well. I had a look at Company's House. As you I, didn't, I did you? Do. Yeah, and he, I found that um, Keith Valentine Graham has got four current appointments: one with Real Restaurants Limited, LRE Limited. Levi Roots Reggae Reggae Foods Limited and Roots Reggae Reggae Sauce Limited. One of the things I picked out was that the accounts for Real Restaurants Limited, which is uh, trading as Levi Roots Caribbean Smokehouse, their accounts for the year ending 31st of March 2018, which were issued in January 2019, there was just a note in the Going Concern section, which I thought was was worth uh, bearing in mind. It says the directors have reviewed the Going Concern nature of the company and are of the view that subject to the successful successful renegotiation of the lease commitments which they consider more likely than not, they believe it is appropriate to continue to adopt the going concern basis of accounting. So they've got okay. some lease negotiations. I'm okay. assuming they're still going n- now, um, assuming that those lease negotiations were successful. Um, LRE Limited is a uh, non-trading company and they, they're the controlling party of Levi Roots Reggae Reggae Foods Limited. Um, Levi Roots Reggae Reggae Foods Limited had total equity reduction of over £300,000 between 2015 and 2016. And um, also, real restaurants, there's this story I couldn't find anything out about. So if you're involved in the business, do let me know because I'm intrigued. They appointed a director, Rebecca Ann Light, on June, um, in June 2018, and she resigned in October 2018. Mm. I did a bit of research, but I couldn't find anything out about that. But It obviously wasn't for her. No, didn't quite work out. So, yeah, that, that's my findings on Companies House. doesn't shed a lot of light on things. Um, the way that companies are organised can often be mystifying mm, to the best mm, of us. Mm. Um, but I um, also found out that he was an ambassador, uh, is an ambassador with the Prince's Trust. So big thumbs up from me for that one. And there is an article on the Prince's Trust website where he shares his top tips for business. And the one that I agree with absolutely wholeheartedly is find yourself a business mentor. That's because that's what I do. <laughs> yeah, no, that is, but I do. It I, is sound I, advice. I mentor young people at the in the Prince's yes. Trust Enterprise Program yeah. because I believe it's valuable. Yeah, and and I think just when you look at the Levi Roots um, website, it's actually there's a whole range of products 
it's it's not just the source anymore. So maybe actually thinking about the um, the numbers, I don't know. Maybe you know, I don't, I don't know. Perhaps it's not. Well, I, I don't know how much the source sells for. So, I mean, it, it could be 25 quid a bottle for all Maybe I know. Maybe we need to nip across to the supermarket yes, and, after and the try show, some yes. of the products. But um, <laughs> an intre- I think he's an interesting character and an interesting case. I've study. got a quote, Heather. Have you got one? I haven't got a quote. Okay. No. Well, my mind's along the same lines. And this is from an article in The Guardian. So it's, it's about mentors. Um, and he was asked to give advice to someone who wants to start a business. And he says, look for someone to be a mentor. For me, it wasn't about getting the money on Dragon's Den. What I really needed was someone to help me out with what to spend the money on and how to retain money. Well, that obviously worked. So that's Levi Roots. We're just about finished here for this week. We do hope you enjoyed listening. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.